And now for something completely different. Ah! Forget everything you've been told by others before. Get ready for the real deal. The full story. Real talk about money, markets, life. Now, it's The Real Investment Show with Lance Roberts. Presented by RIA Advisors. And good morning and welcome to, well, another week of The Real Investment Show. Yeah, it's Monday. Sorry about that. But the good news last day of July, right? We're gonna wrap it up. And that means that Texas is now fully preheated. We are into the, the <laughs> end of summer, August. You think it's been bad at this point? Just wait, we got August coming. Um, anyway, uh, everything's fine. We're moving into to August as we start to really get into the two seasonally week kind of months of the year. And this has been a very, very strong rally in the markets. The markets have now been up for five straight months in a row. now. That's a fairly rare event historically that you've had five straight months of advances in the markets, but that should also tell you two things. If something is rare, right, it doesn't happen very often, which means that also if five months is a rare occasion, it also ends, right? That's just kind of logic. Now, the problem is as investors that we, we typically kind of skip the middle part of this, which is, the S&P's up five months in a row. That typically pertains to higher rates over the next 12 months of returns, right? Market will be higher in five more months than, it, than potentially it is right now. But what we mistake out of that is that the market won't advance every single month from here going forward. Because if it did, then five months of returns would not be rare. That would be more normal. So the fact that you say that five straight months going up is a rare occasion also means that it will likely end and we are entering into two seasonally weak months of the year, August and September. And that would suggest that you're going to get some type of correction in the markets, which would then allow for a rally in October, November, December and into next year that would lead you to higher returns on the S&P than where you are now. So. That's what that, that statistic point tells you. The problem is, is that as investors, <coughs> excuse me, we tend to forget that markets ebb and flow over time and they go up and down. And right now there's a lot of indications that suggest that the market is getting pretty extended, pretty exhausted here in terms of buying. We're seeing a lot of, of evidence of that. Another, another indicator out this morning is that 90% of stocks are now above their 50-day moving average which also pretends to higher rates of return in the markets over the next 12 months. But again, we have to go back and look at that data. 90% of stocks are now above their 50-day moving average. Correct. What does that mean? It means they just came from being below their 50-day moving average, which means that what? Stocks ebb and flow over time. And so when you get stocks 90% above their 50-day moving average, when you've had five straight months of returns, you're likely closer to a correction. Now, that does not mean that the markets are about to fall off a cliff because obviously, if those two indicators, stocks being above their 50-day moving average and five straight months of return, pretend to higher rates of return over the next 12 months, which historically they do, with a fairly high percentage rate, then that would suggest that we are A, in a bull market, and B, that whatever correction you do get is going to be a buying opportunity to put capital to work in the markets. That's all that statistic tells you. Problem is, as investors, we typically tend to overlook the issue that markets do ebb and flow, 
And as investors, what we're trying to do is use opportunistic points of time in the markets to put capital to work. And so all these statistics right now that are telling you is like, oh, great, the market's done A, B, or C, and that suggests that markets will be higher over the next 12 months. A, first of all, there is no guarantee that that will actually occur. Statistically, it does suggest that, that will be the case. But it does not mean it absolutely has to be. And there's certainly some, some indications out there that we still have the risk of a recession that we're going to have to deal with at some point. Yes, it hasn't occurred at the point that everybody thought it was, right? I mean, everybody, everybody last year, remember, everybody last year was saying, hey, recession's here, guaranteed, recession probability, next 12 months, blah, 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 hasn't occurred. Now everybody's in the camp of not, we're going to have no recession at all. But this is what we got to pay attention to because that would contract earnings that would lead to a bigger correction, et cetera. But for right now, the statistics say markets are going to trend higher, at least over the course of the next 12 months. But again, that doesn't pretend to the fact that you won't have a correction to put some capital to work with before it, before it happens. So with that said, Here's what you need to know before the bell this morning. The market had, you know, had a very interesting Thursday, Friday last week. We had what's called a bearish engulfing pattern uh, last Friday. This big red candlestick that we had on Thursday of last week completely covered up <laughs> the, the, the whole market for the week. Uh, it, was, it was a very, very big reversal. We had a very strong open Thursday morning, completely sold off during the day. And this was on that headline over the uh, Japan basically coming in and, and working with their yield curve control. And it kind of turned out to be a false rumor. And the next day we got the actual change to what the, the Bank of Japan was going to do in terms of their yield curve control. It was really kind of a nothing burger. And so the market rallied back on Friday, but did not get back above, did not recapture that sell-off that we had. Now, Again, you know, this morning markets are, are open, looking to open up here a little bit, but we're getting fairly well extended. Again, we keep coming back to this one point, and this is the one thing that I just keep focusing on, and I know it's a little bit tiresome, but again, this is the thing we're talking about here. You're going to get a correction at some point. It does not mean, again, when you say a correction, that doesn't mean go panic, sell everything, and go throw everything into cash because, oh my gosh, Lance just said there's going to be a massive bear market. Not saying that at all. You are going to get a correction though, right? Markets can't trade above moving averages for an extended period of time because otherwise everything would just be moving up. And, and so the problem here is, is that we've got this very, very big deviation uh, in the markets right now between what is going on in terms of the price of the market and importantly, what is occurring everywhere else in the markets, which is simply this function is that we've got this giant deviation between the 200-day moving average and where the markets are currently trading. Now, this can last a while, don't get me wrong. It can certainly do that. But importantly, when you have this big of a deviation, again, we talked about this before, moving averages act like gravity. And so the, the further that you get from that moving average, the, the stronger that gravitational pull comes to want to pull prices back down towards it. And this is, and this is just a, a natural thing because Again, if you think of what a moving average is, it's simply saying this is the average price over time, which means that prices have to trade both above and below that average over some period of time in order to have that average, right? So we just came from last year trading below that moving average, and so now we're trading well, well above it. And again, the, these greater deviations that you have above these moving averages, the higher the likelihood you're going to get a correction back towards it. Now, clearly, 
That does not mean I have to go all the way back to and through the 200-day moving average. So I'm not saying that at all. You are going to get a correction back towards that moving average. And again, we have several in between that. You've got the 20, the 50, the 100, and the 200 below that. So there are plenty of levels of support as you head back down towards that 200-day moving average. Those are going to provide you a buying opportunity again looking at the markets and, and talking about forward returns and all those type of things in the markets. The market's very bullish here, 90% of stocks above their moving averages, all very bullish, suggests that you're going to have higher rates of return over the next 6 to 12 months, but you're going to need a correction along the way in order to opportunistically put money to work within the market. So again, we're moving into two months here, August, September, typically weak months. That'll give you the opportunity that you're looking for. But pay attention to these moving averages. Those are the ones that are going to give you the best opportunity. Look for pullbacks to those supports, add exposure to the markets at those levels, and you'll have a better risk reward opportunity going forward. That's what you need to know before the bell this morning. Now, coming back from the break, we got a lot of stuff to get into about where we are wrapping. You know, we're in the hard earnings season still, but getting ready to wrap up the bulk of it, we'll talk about when we come back from the break. Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. And welcome back to the show this morning. Welcome back to the market. <laughs> um, so a couple of things, you know, we're right, right in the middle of the, the heart of earnings season so far. Uh, this week is going to be another heavy week. Apple, among others, reporting this week. Um, after this week, pretty much, things are going to slow down, uh, start to slow down, because we'll have the bulk of the S&P 500 will have reported earnings we still have lots of companies reporting earnings, don't get me wrong, but it'll be a lot smaller companies and they're not going to be such headline-making movers like an Apple or a Microsoft or an NVIDIA. Now, NVIDIA comes in the month of August. That'll be later on. They report late. And that's the one thing that everybody's kind of got their eye on. We're going to talk a little bit about their valuation here in a second. But um, this week, like I said, we'll wrap up the bulk of it. At this point, um, the bulk of the guidance that's been issued... Uh, for quarter three of, 20, uh, of 2023 has been positive. Um, 27 companies uh, so far have issued negative guidance. 18 uh, have issued positive EPS guidance. And so it's been a little bit of kind of a, a mixed reporting season, yet the markets are continuing to kind of climb this wall of already expecting that this is going to be the worst of it, right? So even though you're getting some negative guidance here, you are still seeing... A, a big chunk of companies, or sorry, a big chunk of the market still climbing this kind of wall of worry. It's like, okay, that's going to be the worst of it, right? So this company reported negative guidance, but that's the worst of it. They're just getting all the bad news out there. That's, this is the, the hope uh, of the markets right now is that this is the, the worst of it. And then from here, earnings or stuff are going to start getting better. Maybe that's the case. Maybe it's not. We'll talk a little bit about you know economic growth here in a minute. But that's that's kind of the attitude of the markets right now. Um, but let's you know talking a little bit more about companies uh, beating earnings estimates. More companies are beating earnings estimates now. This was from FactSet, um, but less than usual. Revenue surprises are only running at about the same as long run averages, 
80% of companies have beaten the consensus of Wall Street earnings estimates. Not surprising, considering why, right? We lower those estimates to the point that they, they beat them. And we all go, hey, they beat earnings, right? Well, we just lowered the bar so they could. So it's not surprising that we're getting 80% of companies beating their estimates, which is above the one, five, and 10-year averages of, 73 point, uh, of 73%. But again... It's not surprising considering how drastically reduced those estimates from June of last year when we first started estimating quarter two. And I posted that chart recently, you know, on our uh, in our newsletter. Companies have beaten earnings estimates by 5.9%. It's noticeably below the five-year average of 8.4%. So, yes, they're beating earnings, but not beating earnings by as much. 64% of companies have beaten revenue estimates. That is well below the one- and five-year averages of 71%. So again, even though we've drastically lowered these earnings estimates for these companies, they're still having trouble beating them by the amounts they normally beat. Again, you know, the lowering of the earnings estimates is not too. We do this every quarter. So we lower estimates. Companies can beat them. We all get excited because they beat them. And generally, we, we lower them too much. And so they have these higher beat rates, right? Oh, they, they beat this estimate by, you know, 12% or whatever the number was. Okay, great. But you had to lower it by 30% so they could beat it by 12% or 6% or whatever the number is. So, again, that's, that's the, the idiocy of the whole earnings season. And, and, you know, it's great for marketing. And it's great for pushing stock prices higher because we all kind of forget about the reality of what's going on. But, again, this is why it's so important that you do your math right and you do the work on the fundamentals of what you're buying what you're paying for it we get you know we all get lost in the hey this is going up i got to buy it but we have to come back ultimately and and say what are we paying for and that's and that's that's the issue it's kind of like you know you know the thing is is you know and it's always kind of fascinating because when it comes to investing we do really funny things as as individuals in no other aspect of your life would you buy something, make a big purchase of something, without thoroughly checking it out and understanding what it was. I mean, think about going to buy a car sight unseen. You have no picture. You have no detail on it. Some guy on the Internet says, I have a 1962 Roadster I'm going to sell you, and it's $100,000. And you go, okay, great. <laughs> right. You have no idea what it is because you didn't do any homework. You just are buying this because it fit a particular description you wanted and you're hoping the price was, would go up. Right. And you find out that you bought a 1962 Volkswagen. Right. And that's what happens in a lot of cases with the markets. You know, we, we buy this stuff with expectations that, oh, my gosh, it's gone up a lot. It can only go higher from here. And that's not really the case. And, and I said I'd come back to, to NVIDIA for a second. And I know I've picked on NVIDIA a lot uh, previously. And I've written articles about the valuation of NVIDIA. It's a great company. Don't get me wrong. Right? Don't get me wrong. Great company. Great product. But there's some problems with the valuation. And we've written articles about, you know, the cost of GPUs and AI and, and, the, and the potential for that, and which, is, which is amazing, the potential for AI, what it can do. But there is a limit to what valuations can do. And so here's kind of a, an interesting analysis that was uh, from Jeremy Schwartz um, that really kind of put a, a pen in what I've been talking about in terms of 
when you pay for something at 40 times price to sales, what the outcome is. And again, if you think about it for a moment, you're paying 40 times. Just think about this for a moment. And if you're long NVIDIA, I'm not telling you to go out and sell it, right? I'm not saying that at all. But you have to think about what you're paying for. At 40 times price to sales, that means if I sell a dollar worth of a product today, you're giving me $40 for that dollar's worth of sales. Now, that's for this year. You just paid me $40 for a dollar's worth of sales. If the company, let, let's say that you're the only investor in the company. You're the only investor. The company has one share outstanding and you own it and you paid $40 for that one share of stock that the company has. And the company earns a dollar in sales. And they give you the dollar, right? I went and sold this product. I got a dollar for it. Here's your dollar as a shareholder. Now, no taxes, no deduction, no nothing. No employees, no expenses, no nothing. I give you 100 cents of the dollar. You own it. Now, for all of you driving, you can do this math in your head. So you don't need to worry about having a pen, paper, and a calculator. Just do this simple math. If you get $1 a year, how many years does it take you to get your $40 back? Because that's what we're talking about when you pay 40 times price of anything, right? 40 times earnings, 50 times earnings, 60 times earnings. How many years will it take you to get your investment back if the company pays you your pro rata share of the earnings, the sales, whatever it is? That's 40 times price to sales. Now, let me give you the, the, the details of this from Jeremy Schwartz. Because we talked about Sun Micro back in 2000 when... Uh, when the CEO of Sun Micro said, you're crazy paying me 10 times price to sales because of what it means I would have to do to make that a value to you, right? Now you're talking about a company trading at 40 times price to sales. Again, I am not bashing NVIDIA. I'm not saying they're a terrible company. They're not. They're a great company. But we're talking about valuation. Jeremy Schwartz. At 40 times trailing 12-month sales and 25 times forward sales, NVIDIA is the highest valuation stock of any stock in the S&P 500. Actually, it's the highest valuation of any stock in of the 500 stocks of the entire market. They're in the top. They're the most expensive. You take the 500 most expensive stocks of every stock that trades out there, like 15,000 stocks, you take the pull, the top 500 most overvalued stocks, NVIDIA is number one. In the past, 231 companies reached similar multiples over the last 50 years. Only 20% beat the market over the next 12 months. More than 90% failed over 3, 5, and 10 years to beat the market. Median stock losses by 36% over the next 12 months. Why? Did the company change? No. Did the product change? No. The market recognized and reality came home to roost that you can't justify 40 times price to sales. Period. 
And this is the risk that you run with NVIDIA. Again, nothing wrong with the company, but they the stock ran up to 40 times price of sales on the assumption that they're going to be able to generate a 50% sales growth rate this quarter, next quarter, the quarter after, and the quarter after that. And that's not what NVIDIA said. NVIDIA said they expected a 50% sales bump in the second in this in this past quarter. And that was primarily due to Elon Musk buying thousands of GPUs to launch his new AI company. That's not repeatable. So what happens when NVIDIA's sales jump 50% in the second quarter and then only rise by, say, 10% in the third quarter or 5%? All of a sudden, that valuation becomes problematic. And that's why you have these big corrections in these stocks, 36% over the next 12 months, because the stocks run well ahead of what reality is. And when reality shows up, which is not bad, it's still great growth. It's just not 50% a quarter, right? And then the stock prices have to readjust. Just something to think about. Valuations are important, right? We don't pay attention to valuations. All we want to do is chase prices, which is completely understandable. But valuations do matter, and they matter a lot. Be right back after the break. investment advice blog it's required reading for the informed investor catch it today at realinvestmentadvice.com nine banded armadillo armadillos are known carriers of leprosy strain that infects humans. Don't play with the armadillos in Texas or Florida. Florida is the leading state for leprosy. Look, you, every time something happens, it's a Florida man. So all I'm saying, <laughs> don't play with the armadillos. Armadillos are not your friend. Don't play with the armadillos. Strange headlines this morning. Uh, anyway. So one of the big conundrums, right? So right here in the middle of, of earnings season, earnings season a lot better than expected. But, you know, it's still this question of the economy, right? And I had this conversation over the weekend. I was doing a podcast. And, you know, the from the bearish side of the camp, right, there's still a lot of arm waving over here going, it's the lag effect. It's the lag effect. It's the lag effect. And it's true. There is. It's the lag effect. But the lag effect of what? Right? The, the, the view is, is that we haven't had a recession because of the lag effect of Fed rate hikes. But the first Fed rate hike was in March of last year, so we've now gone roughly, you know, 15 months since the first rate hike. 
no recession yet. Uh, GDP in the first quarter came in at 2%. GDP in second quarter, 2.4%. Right now, the Atlanta Fed expects GDP in third quarter to be 3.5%. So the economy is getting stronger, not weaker. Where's the recession? And there's a lot of, you know, evidence that you should be having a recession, right? So you take a look at yield curves, which historically never, never wrong. It's deeply inverted. Predict a recession in the next 12 months. Leading economic indicators predict a recession in the next 12 months. But these have been predicting a recession in the next 12 months for the last six months, right? But no recession yet. And this is this is the conundrum, right? Is like, you know, how can the stock market be doing what it's doing when you are hiking interest rates and the Fed's still hiking interest rates, just hiked interest rates last week? And you're heading obviously heading into a recession. Well, what's interesting is, is that that's not uncommon, right? The market typically rises during Fed rate hikes and while you're heading into a recession. And importantly, the, the view is, is that, well, since we haven't had a recession, we're not going to have one. It's a soft landing scenario. And... It's all going to be fine. Even the Fed last week said that the staff of the Federal Reserve no longer expects a recession. So we had this big expectation of recession. We had a 20% decline in the markets in 2022. And now the markets are rallying again. Which, again, not uncommon that the markets are rallying. It's just what's a little bit uncommon is that you had a 25% correction in the S&P before the recession, right? That's a, that's a little bit uncommon that you had that correction in the markets. But that doesn't necessarily negate a recession, and that doesn't necessarily negate another downturn in the markets at some point in the future. But this is the big this is the big debate: recession, no recession, and those type of things. And the, and and you know, so when you start thinking about, well, why aren't we having a recession? Well, the the consumer spending's still doing okay. And we talked about the fact that, you know, if you take a look at the amount of money supply that's still in the economy, we're still at very elevated levels. And remember, the economy is very elevated. I've got a chart here of the of GDP. This is nominal GDP versus Fed funds rates. And what you'll notice is, is that when Fed funds rates exceed the GDP rate of growth, this is nominal GDP. Now, two things to take away from this chart. First of all, notice that you don't have to have negative nominal GDP to have a recession. In fact, you've only had negative nominal GDP in the last two recessions, and that was because the rate of annualized growth of GDP had been steadily declining. So you do need a downturn in GDP, but you don't need negative. And that's particularly the case when you have a very high level of nominal GDP at the time, which is what we have. Notice that huge, massive spike in GDP coming out of 2020 in the recession we had there. That's all that stimulus that hit the markets. Fed funds rates right now are not above the nominal rate of GDP growth yet. 
So the Fed hasn't put on enough brake yet in order to drag GDP lower. Now, this GDP trend will continue lower as it heads back towards 2% annualized. But that's going to take some time. Leave that chart up for a second, Brent. The point here is this, is that you can't have that huge of a spike in GDP. And again, what is a recession that is a, a contraction in GDP growth? When you had that much money put into the economy, it's going to take some time to revert that economic growth, suck out that capital. It's going to take time before you actually get to the recession. And the Fed is continuing to hike rates here and will likely have to hike rates probably one more time this year because inflation will likely stabilize it at too high of a level for the Fed, right? And they'll want to bring it down some more. Or the Fed will stop hiking here and GDP will slow below that rate. But then that's where you potentially get that set up for a recession. But again, the point that the important takeaway here is to the why we haven't had a recession is because of all that liquidity. And look, the federal and the government is not stop spending money. This is the one thing people forget. So first of all, we look at that GDP stimulus that we had back in 2020 and go, well, there's all that stimulus. But we don't have that now. Well, yeah, we do because we passed $1.7 trillion of infrastructure spending, right? Most of that wasn't even infrastructure spending. Most of it was benefit money and other stuff. But $1.7 trillion of it. But we also forget that every time that we pass these debt ceilings, it's an automatic 8% bump to spending. You know, what cracks me up is, is President Biden runs around and goes, I reduced the deficit. No, you didn't. Actually, the deficit under the Biden administration is greater than any other president in history right now. If you X out that massive stimulus spending that you did in 2020, 2021 under both presidents. The normal trend of GDP is, uh, sorry, the normal trend of the deficit is increasing rather rapidly because we keep passing these debt ceilings and spending more money automatically, right? We don't need a budget for that. We just get an automatic 8% bump. I had a trillion dollars last year. I get an additional 8% of my money to spend this year on my budget. This is why the budget just keeps ballooning and we keep spending more and more money. But that money has to go somewhere, right? So it shows up in the economy. So that's why you haven't had this massive slowdown in the economy because there's still money getting spent in the economy. I've got an article coming out on this you know, soon. But the question becomes, is, is that additional spending enough to keep the economy out of a recession? Well, it's certainly enough to delay the recession longer than we think. I'll give you another chart to take a look at here because, again, as we you know, typically talk about this, the one thing that we always have to remember is that it's the credit market that drives the economy. Credit is the lifeblood of the economy. And that's the important thing to remember. And so when you take a look at corporate bond yields versus the Fed funds rate, it is now an extremely narrow spread between the corporate bond yield market and the Fed funds rate. Historically, whenever you've had such a narrow spread, right, and this, this spread is currently about as low as it was heading into 2008 financial crisis, 
But historically, when you have that negative of a spread, you have always had a hard landing within the economy. But you'll notice that those hard landings, right, occur after. So here, you know, the peak of the market occur. Would you put the chart back up? I'm not done yet. He's so he's, you know, Brent's all glitchy on the charts here. We got stuff to talk about. Tell, tell Brent in the chat, leave the charts alone. But you'll notice that these bottoms, put the chart back up, Brent. <laughs> Qu quit messing with it. <laughs> so what you'll notice is, is that these bottoms in these spreads between the corporate bond yield and the Fed fund rate occur near the top of the market, right? But the recession occurs after the fact. And it's particularly clear when you look at the, 2000, the top of the market heading in 2007, 2008. You'll notice that the bottom and the top of the market were aligned, but it took some time before that recession showed up. Same thing in 2020. These are warning signs. Again, like all the other warning signs that we have, it's like, hey, this suggests that you're going to have a recession at some point. But again, there's so much liquidity still floating around that market. It's just getting pushed out for, for longer. So that's the thing to keep a, a reminder on is that everything is fine right now, but we're talking about months now. This could be another six to 12 months. And that's what I was talking about this weekend. You know, everybody says a recession's coming. Yeah, there probably is, right? Plenty of evidence that you're going to have a recession, but it may not be till 2025 because of all this liquidity. Could be sooner, could be 2024, right? Mid 2024 early 2025 but that's likely the case because of all this liquidity it's just got to get sucked out of the system before you can have that contraction that everybody's now not looking for which is actually just the setup you want for a recession anyway be right back after the break wrap up the show no more charts so brent can relax Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. And welcome back to the show this morning. So just getting ready to wrap things up uh, this morning. Oil prices up a smidge. Markets are up a little bit this morning. Futures up about six points on the S&P. And again, none of this is surprising. Uh, earnings, like I said earlier, coming in better than expected. Not surprising when you lower the bar, but that's where we are. And so that's just been giving some you know stocks some lift here um, as companies beat in, you know, come in, kind of beat these uh, lowered estimates. And, you know, this is, you know, and, and again, you know, that's, that's really the good news. Um, you know, the question is kind of what happens next, right? Expectations for earnings growth over the rest of this year and next year's, the bar is pretty high. Uh, we're talking about near record levels of earnings by next year. So, again, in order to support that, you're going to need stronger economic growth, not weaker economic growth. But, again, that's, that's the challenge here. The markets are betting on stronger economic growth to generate higher rates of earnings, and yet you still have this potential risk of a recession coming, which would equate to slower GDP growth and slower earnings. So that's the bet that we're all trying to make here as, as to you know what that is. 
But again, that's the challenge of, of investing. It's the challenge of managing money is, you know, we have to deal with the market that we have today, which is clearly bullish, um, but keep our eye on the risk going forward of what potentially could happen. And that's and that's that's the hard part, right? It's like, well, you know, I don't want to put any money at risk today in these stocks because they could all go down tomorrow because of the recession. And you know, the the reality is is we're gonna see whatever it is coming, right? Markets will start to turn lower, we'll get sell signals across the board, we'll start to violate moving averages, and, and we'll know it's time to start reducing risk. And this is why we have this is the difference between a buy and hold strategy where you just kind of let it all wash over you, right? You just write them up, write them down, write them up, write them down. And that's worked over the last 12 years pretty well because of a, a just phenomenal flood of liquidity from QE to monetary and fiscal stimuluses of, of different types, you know, nearing $45 trillion worth of, of liquidity in a $20 trillion economy. You know, not surprising that markets would return 4% more than the long-term average. But that's not really sustainable. And if we go into a future with less monetary liquidity, then you're potentially talking about a future where rates of return on an annualized basis could be near zero. All right. Now, now that doesn't mean you're going to lose money. It just means that the rate of return on stocks will you know, be up 2% one year, down 2% one year, up 2% one year, down 2%, and you wind up over a 10-year period you're near zero. And that could be a realistic possibility moving forward, which is going to mean on a buy and hold basis, you're not going to make a lot of money. But as an investor, you're going to have to be much more nimble about managing your money and trading these ebbs and flows of the markets a little bit more to your advantage. And that's why, you know, when you take these kind of views that, oh, my gosh, the world's about to end, I'm going to be all in cash, you know, gold and beanie weenies, that you have these periods where markets do very unexpected things. And this has been one of those years. S&P's up 18% for the year. NASDAQ's up over 30. You know, and, and last, just a few months ago, nobody could imagine that. But this has been the case over the last couple of years, right? This is really since 2020. Remember in 2021, nobody wanted to own energy stocks, right? Nobody is like, energy stocks are terrible. They're the end of the world and, and, and nobody wanted to own them. Stocks were down tremendously in 2021, 2022. They're up 40% for the year. Last year, nobody wanted to own FANG stocks. Nobody wanted to own the big tech stocks. Nobody wanted to own technology stocks. Now those are the biggest winners. Markets always tend to do exactly the opposite of what you expect them to do. And so that's part of that contrarian thinking that we have to embed into our portfolio management going, and this is the hard part, right? Because, you know, this is Mike and I have these conversations every day. This set of data says we're clearly going to have this outcome. Okay. We need to go buy some stuff. <laughs> That's the hard part doing, you know, when you, when you, and, and emotionally we all deal with this struggle. I deal with it, right? Everybody deals with this in terms of managing money is like, man, I just can't justify doing this because of A, B, C, or D. And I can make you a very good case of why you shouldn't do something, but then the market does it anyway. 
And that's that hard part of contrarianism, which is, is going against that nature that we have, which is called loss aversion. That's the psychological behavioral name for it. We're trying to avoid loss, and so we kind of go to extremes trying to avoid loss rather than understanding what the loss potential is and then investing anyway. It's difficult. I don't have it down perfect. If, if, I, if, if I had it down perfect, you know, our portfolios would be seven stocks this year, right? Can't do that. Can't do that. First of all, I'd probably be lose my license with the SEC for doing something like that. Um, but from a risk-adjusted basis of returns, it just that is not a fiduciary responsibility, right? That's not our job as portfolio managers and fiduciaries for our clients. We have to manage with some degree of risk. But again, you know, in November, at the very beginning of November, I wrote an article called "Are Fang Stocks Dead?" and I made the case that they weren't. And and that study right there said, hey, we should have just bought a whole bunch of Fang stocks and just gone home for the day because nobody wanted them. But again, you just can't do that on a fiduciary basis, right? But that's the challenge that everybody has. And so when you when you take a look at the market, no matter what you and here's the point of, of what I'm trying to tell you is that when you take a look at the market, it's important to say, this is what I believe. In my heart of hearts, this is what I believe. And I believe this. And and whatever that case is, I'm gonna invest this way, right? I believe the dollar is going to do this or stocks are going to do that. So I'm going to buy this asset to, to, to basically bet on this one thing occurring. That's what we call one-sided bets. When you start thinking that way, the first thing you've got to do is step back and go, okay, what if I'm wrong? Can't imagine how I would be wrong. But this is where you've got to challenge yourself and say, okay, if I'm wrong, I've got to have this asset sitting over here to take advantage of me being wrong. See, that's the hard part. That's the challenge. Because you've got to bet against your own gut instinct. You may be right, right? You may be 100% correct. There's a lot of people right now betting this market can only go higher from here they're probably going to be right over the next 12 months, right? But over the next couple of months, likely they're going to have their faith shaken a bit by a correction. And the question will be, do they adhere to their guns and their conviction and stay long the market regardless of that correction? Or do they start panic selling during that correction thinking that their view is wrong? Right. And, and what happens most of the time is that psychologically we flip flop back and forth. As soon as something happens, we're like, I'm convicted this market can only go higher. And then as soon as it cracks a bit, it's like, oh, it's a bear market. I'm out. That's how we typically get things wrong. And this is why investors, you know, buy peaks and sell bottoms and, and not just retail. I'm not just picking on retail. I just uh, wrote in this. Uh, we had an article coming out uh, tomorrow uh, talking about this is that professional investors, there's a index that we track it's the national american association of professional investment managers and these are all professional managers and right now 
they have a 101% exposure in their portfolios. They are not only all-in stocks, they are now leveraged to a bit of a, a degree. Historically, whenever that index is above 90, you're near a short-term peak in the markets. Now, think about that. What, what's that telling you about professional managers? Man, what it tells you is, is that professional managers, just like everybody else, buy tops. Whenever that index is below 40, in other words, they're selling, and they've reduced their equity exposure to below 40%, that's near a bottom. So professional managers, just like retail, are just as bad at selling tops and buying bottoms. Uh, sorry, buying tops and selling bottoms. Because it's human nature, right? And that's the hard part. The hard part of all of this and the thing that you've got to take into account, whether you're managing your own money or you've got somebody managing it for you, doesn't matter. We're all human beings. We're all dealing with the same set of, of emotions and psychological errors and those type of things. And nobody, nobody can predict the future. No matter how much we want to try. You may get lucky, right? A lot of people get lucky. It's like, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm betting on this stock and stock goes up. And it's like, man, I'm, I'm, I'm really smart because look at what I did. It's probably luck more than anything else. But that's, that's, that's gambling, right? I mean, that's the markets. That's, it's, we've turned Wall Street into a casino, and, and now it is simply the, the luck of the bet, right? Doesn't mean I'm really a good poker player. I just got really lucky on that hand that I was dealt. It happens. But the question you have to ask yourself is, can you repeat that process over years and if people could repeat that process over years then a whole lot of more people in this country would be wealthy from the stock market than they are just something to think about luck versus skill all right wraps up the show for today be back tomorrow for the tuesday edition of course as always get by the website our latest newsletter is out on the website now talking about how to trade this unstoppable mole market it's on the website now for you. Goes a bit through technical analysis and how to use it, help you out here a little bit. That's on the website, realinvestmentadvice.com. Since your questions, comments, emails, let us know. See you back here tomorrow.